Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Hey there, joystick wagglers. Can you believe it? We're racing towards the end of Series 2 of Games Master. It's been a fun time on the Games Rig, but it's almost time to head into the Games Master Academy and hang out with Dexter Fletcher for a series. But we can't round off Series 2 without hearing from you fine folks. So get in touch with your feedback for Series 2 of Games Master by emailing feedback at underconsultation.com with either an MP3 or written word, and it will be featured on the show, which will go out at the end of October. Let us know your favourite episodes, challenges, celebrities, features, and all your least favourite moments in between. Send your message to feedback at underconsultation.com or find us on social media at underconsolepod on Twitter or at under.console on Instagram. Enjoy the episode. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, tingling for Dominic Diamond. And as the man on high mentally massaging the consultation members, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 11th of March 1993, and there's no change in either the box office or the music charts, as Too Unlimited is still top of the pops with no limit, and Steven Seagal continues to kick up box office receipts with Under Siege. I mean, there's not really much more to say about Under Siege. We kind of covered the film, his production process, the fact that Steven Seagal is a bit of a dick. But Too Unlimited, No Limit, a song that has entered my rotation. (laughs) That's not code. It's just now in circulation in my Spotify. My end of year Spotify playlist It's going to be a fucking weird one this year, Luke. It's a banging track, though. Like, I, I, you mentioned it the last time we talked about this, but how there has not been a wrestler that's used it as an entrance music uh, is kind of astounding, it, unless someone must have done. Well, after we talked about this before, I did go to cagematch.net, which is a, about as accurate as a wrestling Wikipedia can get. Mm-hmm. And it did bring up there is a tag team operating in Europe called Two Unlimited. Aha. Uh-huh. 
comprised of Jay Salmon and Patrick Salmon. They were called Two Unlimited and their entrance theme was Two Unlimited, No Limit. So not only did they take the song, they took the f***ing name as well. <laughs> well, that's just being cheeky, really. Um, but the other thing we wanted to talk about was the awesome, awesome music video for this song. Do you like pinball? Do you like giant pinball? Do you like people saying techno, 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 techno inside a giant pinball machine? Because guess what? If you like those things, you are in luck because that's what this music video is. So cool, though. It, lo- it looks amazing. It looks absolutely amazing. It looks timeless and dated at the same time. And I do oh, yeah. wonder what production meeting when pinball. Yeah, that will do. Yeah, stick them in a pinball machine. It's very timely. Is it? I think pinball was still popular. Actually, I think pinball was really popular at this point. The Terminator 2 pinball machine was doing, like, major numbers. Do you know what? You are absolutely right, because my brain has caught up with the dates while you were saying that about the Terminator 2 pinball and gone, and the Adams Family, and Star yeah, Trek The right. Next Generation. Yeah, yeah. This was the last great hurrah for pinball, actually. I'd say so, yeah. Between this and the mid-90s is when you got a lot of themed pinballs. The only real issue that you had is the further into the 90s we got with pinball, the more tangential the ties the pinball machines had to the properties got. Mm. And it wasn't until recently when a pinball machine being made new is a real luxury that doesn't happen often, that pinball machines started to tie more solidly with their themes. There's been recent tables based on Ghostbusters and ACDC that have been absolute bangers. But we're not talking about ACDC, we're talking about Two Unlimited. (laughs) Tangents, what are they? We just don't know. I mean, I was going to say, going off on a tangent, I've always wanted a pinball machine. That's always been one of sort of my dream purchases. Because, like, uh, very briefly, I was a, a host of the Twilight Zone podcast, and the Twilight Zone oh. pinball machine is one of the best pinball machines I've ever played. It's so so great. And there was a pub in Reading, my my old hometown, that had the Twilight Zone pinball machine, but it wasn't plugged in. And the guy was just like, "Yeah, it's just here. We never we don't use it. It's kind of sort of a decorative thing." And I kept thinking, I was like, well, sell it to me, then I'll buy it off you. I'll buy it off. I'll find someone to, to fix it and make it work. And the bugger just would not sell it. Why would you have a pinball machine and not plug it in? It was basically being used as a, a table for beer coasters. Which pub was this? I'm going to go down there and give them a damn good shin kicking. That's horrific. Yeah, it's, it's good. They got shut down eventually. Not because of the pinball thing. It's just because, you know, it's a bit of a <laughs> pub. But as music videos go, this is very much a... We don't really have a band. We can't really have them performing live. There's no point doing concert footage. So we're going to have to kind of go with the abstract. And the abstract was pinball. When there is a limit, usually three balls. (laughs) Well, not if you use the pinball fantasies cheats. Oh, then you've got more balls than you can handle. (laughs) Okay, settle down. Thank you very much. Thank you and welcome to Games Master. Now, out here, supplies of Schwarfbiger cleaning gel have been running low. But when you're stuck in the middle of the ocean, all alone for two weeks, needs must. So it is with somewhat oily hands that we say hello to Games Master for tonight's first challenge. Ash, with three episodes to go before the end of this series, we've got a new intro. We do, we've got a new intro, but alarm bells are ringing. They're running out of Schwarfbiger gel. <laughs> they are. It's hard to get hold of when you're on an oil rig out in the middle of the ocean. And if you're there, for, you know, two weeks on your own, if that's that's your only choice. Yeah, needs must. So it's with somewhat oily hands that we say hello to the Games Master to find out tonight's first challenge. And wank him off, I guess. <laughs> okay, let's step back a bit. Let's step back a bit. 
I put it to you, Luke. Yes. How? <laughs> I don't know, man, because he is just he's a disembodied head. But he's got but he but he gets the horn on for Auntie Marisha. So clearly there's something there. Well no, he gets the horn on for Auntie Marisha, but as he is essentially built into an oil rig, it's an actual horn. <laughs> Yeah. That's what the air horn is. Every time we hear the air horn, it's because he's got a glimpse of Auntie Marisha's shin. <laughs> anyway, let's head on over to oh Games God, Faster. What are we doing? <laughs> it's nearly the end of series two. Let's head on over to Games Faster and find out what our first challenge is. Welcome to the Games Rig. To get things underway tonight, we make another visit to Super Mario World. I'd like you to focus your attention on the delicious but malicious chocolate island free level which you'll need to exit in under 1 minute 15 seconds. Don't forget to acquire the ability to fly, for without the cape, you'll be quite unable to exit the level. Jump to it. Ash, it's been a bit of a staple of Series 2. It's Super Mario World playing Chocolate Island 3 Get Through the Level in 1 minute and 15 seconds. That's a very specific time. I've always thought Chocolate Island 3 does sound sort of like the video that you'd buy in Soho. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Speaking of Soho, we'll be seeing more Soho a little later on. Look at me working in the bad influence references. <laughs> now, we've talked a lot about Super Mario World uh, across the run of this show, but the one thing that I, I, was, I was trying to think, like, I, I don't know if you've looked this far ahead, but this is basically the last time we're really going to see Super Mario World uh, on Games Master because by the time we get to Series 3, it's not the cool thing anymore. Mortal Kombat's the new cool thing, along with, you know, still people playing Legend of Zelda. So we don't really get any challenges based around Super Mario World because... All Stars is out, so people are playing the Lost Levels because that's the new Mario game. So this and the consultations that we get later is kind of like almost one of the last hurrahs we get of Super Mario World on Games Master. I think it's a case of, to a degree, a problem you'll often encounter on an oil rig, exposure. In that when we first started seeing Mario World, it was the new sexy thing. Not everyone had a SNES. Whereas season three, as we begin, the SNES has been out a while. People have picked it up. As you said, Mario All-Stars is not far down the line. So there's nothing sexy about seeing Mario World anymore. There's nothing ooh about it. People have been playing it. It's been consultation zoned out. And so it's time to move on. And also, as Games Master gets more clout and gets more recognised, they get access to bigger and better games. I mean, again, looking ahead, two episodes, we have Mortal Kombat. We do, yeah, on the arcade. Yeah, which blows my mind because I'd forgotten we saw Mortal Kombat in the arcade this damn soon. Yeah, absolutely. But the one thing I did want to cover, if this is going to be the last time that we do get to talk about Super Mario World on this podcast, the uh, the ROM hacks, uh, the Kaizo Mario ROM hacks that became a big thing sort of in 2007 uh, when uh, Tegamoto started doing them. So I found a really interesting article on Polygon, which I'll link to in the, the podcast description in the show notes. T. Tegamoto created this ROM hack of Super Mario World that was called Whole Mario that was basically trying to make like this super nails version of Mario World to send to their friends. Polygon writing the article, what Takamoto didn't know was that the sadistic offering would spawn an entire genre of trap-filled video games that have been watched by millions of people on video sites like YouTube. It's possible Takamoto still doesn't know what he started because nobody knows what happened to him since Kaizo exploded on the internet. And there's been lots of like really popular ROM hacks of this. Super Dram World uh, was which is named after Dram 55. But the one that I really like and, and have really enjoyed watching people play, and it's not just because it's named after someone 
who's a bit of a friend of mine, uh, is Grand Poo World, which is named after the um, speedrunner and, and Twitch star Grand Poo Bear. Oh. And uh, Grand Poo World, we was like, it was really, really popular because it is, it's incredible to watch people play it. Like it is watching people play Super Mario at like the top level of, of gaming because it is, you need to know how that game works inside and out. And often these ROM hacks have got brand new scores they often have brand new graphics in them and new sort of assets and stuff but they are massive trolling games as well grand poo world 2 uh, for example there are many secrets nods to mario streamers clever platforming obstacles that confound even most experienced fans this is from that polygon article in one particularly memorable level players have to hit a clock to stop enemies from moving a power that somehow doesn't make the passage any easier for people trekking through it the trolls get elaborate too one random pipe in grand poo world 2 hides a notoriously hated level from the first game just to mess with players. The level inside a level also has no checkpoints. Players who recognize the level might be tempted to just skip the pipe, except doing so might mean that you miss a big secret. The best part is one of your rewards for clearing this travesty is that you get warped back to the title screen. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Grand Pooh Bear quoted in that article saying, it's worse than dying in the game. And this is what I love about this. The Polygon article continues, the hard work paid off. When Grand Pooh World 2 was released, some fans took time off work, if not stayed up for days just to stream the game. But listening to players talk about it, despite its impressive design, a rage-worthy trolls, Grand Pooh World 2 isn't the pinnacle of what the scene has to offer. If anything, the Kaizo community is just getting started. Uh, Pooh Bear says, I don't think we've even peaked at this hard level stuff. Stuff. The community keeps coming, raising the bar of gameplay and level design further and further, but imagine it's going to get even crazier when Mario Maker 2 comes out. There's loads of speedruns and stuff you can watch on this, and really they're, they're less speedruns and more just showing off how good people can be at Super Mario World. It, it's, a, a, it's so impressive to see. I've not been a big one for the Mario ROM hacks, but also I kind of have, but I've been a big one for the official ROM hacks, aka super mario maker and mario maker 2 which is an amazing thing to come from nintendo because nintendo very heavy-handed on the roms and the fan translations and that's a whole mess that we should just not even get into but they then go here's mario maker and mario maker 2 so many of them are like trick shots in pool which is once you know the trick you can ace it but if you don't know the trick, you're buggered, really. Yeah, it's amazing. Pooh Bear does a lot of Mario Maker 2 stuff. Like, he was the channel I was always going to to watch uh, people do the Mario Maker 2 levels, particularly because he is so good at the at the games. You, you kind of say that, that Nintendo are very, very protective of this sort of thing. And then sort of like, hey, here's basically ROM hack the actual game. They put Zelda in it. They, you know, they put like all these Zelda assets in it. You could turn into Link. You have an arrow. You have a sword. You have the, the downswipe. It was amazing. And with the last update that they did for Mario Maker 2, they went, you don't just have to make levels. You can make an overworld. Yeah. I had not been interested in actually buying Mario Maker until that point. Watching people play impossible levels is fun. I had no desire to do it myself. But the fact you can create your own overworld as well your own story Mm -hmm. that's pretty f***ing cool yeah i can't remember if we've mentioned uh my favorite rom hack of super mario world on this show before if we have apologies if you have heard this before but it's um it's the one that came out i think it was last year where it's basically you have to play with one pad and two minds where two players play it simultaneously but it switches from mario to luigi every half a second 
So you both have to be playing it at the same time, but the, the control switches between Mario and Luigi every half a second. So you both have to be in sync with what you're doing, otherwise you're never going to get anywhere. It sounds like they saw Pacific Rim, saw how the pilots work to pilot a Jaeger, and went, yes. let's make Mario. <laughs> <laughs> to which I say, well done. Controlling the plumber with the comfy facial hair on this challenge is Aaron Hill from Newbury. Now, Aaron, what, what does a young blade about town like yourself do in Newbury? Well, there's skateboarding, and that's it. It's a bizarre coincidence. Auntie Marisha likes a little bit of that. Perhaps you could loop the loop with her later on. Do you fancy that? I'm not very, I'm not very good. Oh, well, neither is she. Okay, listen, you're doing Super Mario World. You've got one minute, 15 seconds for the challenge. What's some of the biggest problems you'll face? Well, jumping and timing. Jumping and timing. So watch out for those ones then. Aaron, if you'd like to sit yourself down, we'll get ready to start. Well, let's see if this kid gets a well done from Ash as well. It's Aaron Hill from Newbury and his cool leather jacket. His cool leather jacket, his jeans and his metal shirt. I'm fairly certain this is a Megadeth shirt. Oh, this is very much a Megadeth t-shirt, yeah. Dominic welcomes him to the show and asks what a young blade, like Aaron, does around Newbury, to which he replies, skateboarding, and that's about it. Yeah, and I've been to Newbury, and uh, I know that's probably about true. But this doesn't deter Dominic, and he says that Auntie Marisha likes a bit of that and suggests that perhaps he could loop with her later if he fancies it. To which Aaron says, he's not very good, and Dominic says, well, that's okay, neither she. Yeah, this is, he kind of sets him up there. He kind of sort of like softballs it to be like, look, I'm trying to make a shaggy joke with Auntie Marisha, play along. And he just goes, no, I'm not very good at skateboarding. There were so many lines there about grinding or showing her his half pipe. The comedy wrote itself, this kid should have been up on it. He's a metal fan. Come on. And that familiar tingle in my loins can only mean Jeremy Doldy from Game Zones by my side. Welcome, Jeremy. I tingle for you too, Dominic. <laughs> I tingle for you. Thank you very much. Have, have you got any tips for our skateboarding challenger tonight? Well, basically, he's just going to go like the clappers. It's a very tough challenge. I'll be very surprised if he does it. Okay, well, it's nice to know that Jeremy's confident for him. But Jeremy Doldry is in the booth tingling for Dominic Diamond and suggests that you just go like the clappers and he will be surprised if he does this, which I think is basically because Jeremy has seen this kid in practice and has seen the way he's been playing this game. Dominic does the standard. He says, are you ready? Cool. One minute, 15 seconds. Go. And the first thing this kid does is hesitate. He stops and waits for a platform to arrive to him. Now, that's not necessarily an immediate game over, but he needs to find his flow. And he does, but it's questionable whether there's enough time for that. I will say that for a good amount of time, his mid-air control of Mario is actually flawless. He's mm -hmm. very good at working with the physics engine. He's very good at hitting those Coopers and bouncing them off and moving to the next platform. He doesn't immediately concern himself with getting a mushroom to become Super Mario, which is ballsy. Mm -hmm. But then he gets the mushroom, he becomes Super Mario, so he's got a one hit. He's kind of fine to have one collision, and then eventually he gets the feather. Now, it's said multiple times by multiple people, including Games Master, you need this feather. This mm -hmm. feather is required. You've got to run, you've got to fly, otherwise you're never going to make it. 
What doesn't he do, Luke? He doesn't do anything. Like, I've written in my notes, he's like, okay, you've got the feather, now go. And he's still being really cautious. And at the 15 seconds left of this challenge, he panics because he suddenly realizes that he is nowhere near the finish line of this level. He is rapidly running out of time. So he finally starts to hurry, hits a Koopa, and he dies. Yeah. He loses a feather, which when you're trying to time all your jumps between these midair platforms and blocks, you need that feather. And as soon as he makes the midair collision, two things happen. He loses the feather, he's still Super Mario, but also he now plummets like a rock, drops off the bottom of the screen, insta death, the challenge is over. Now, Aaron, you had some problems there. Talk, talk us through a couple of them. Well, the turtle just seemed to appear from nowhere. Well, I'm afraid, Aaron, you've scored a whopping 10 on the excuse-ometer. So we'll have to hand over to Games Master to decide your fate. That performance was truly pitiful. Off to the pit with you. Well, Aaron, I'm afraid Games Master has spoken. So it's down to the pit with you, you heinous games-playing villain. Oh, man. I mean, I, I, before Games Master even said it, I thought it was, it was a pretty pitiful performance, bless his heart. Hey. <laughs> Because we go over to Games Master for the final judgment and it's off to the pit with him. Not the mosh pit, sadly, because I reckon he'd have probably been all right with that. (laughs) I did feel a little bad for him because this is actually a nails level to do. And we know that because, spoilers, this same level is brought up in the consultation zone later this episode. Yeah, so it's a really hard level anyway. And that one minute, 15 second time limit, that's... That's really tough. It's such a specific time. I reckon Jeremy or one of the researchers or someone else involved in the crew who is spot on at their Mario went, I can do it in about 70 seconds. So Mm. they went, okay, we'll make it one minute 15, but woof, this is going to be a tough one. And yeah, it was. This week, a bit of ancestral bonding occurs when we look at Evolution Games. It's Evolution Games in the review zone this week. We've got Paul Anglin from CBG, James Leach from Games Master, and the returning Dan Tootill. Dan, how are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me on again, guys. <laughs> You're very, very welcome. It's good to have you back on the show again. Yeah, as they say in the YouTube comments, that kid with the weird eyes is back. <laughs> And you actually have a, a bit of an accolade to add to your name now. Not only were you on Games Master twice, you've been on this show three times. You're our first ever three-time guest. I know, that's that's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Last time we had you on here, we kind of talked about you getting involved with the show, and then we were going to start talking about the actual like, the studio itself and sort of your, your time when you were there, but we wanted to save that for when you came back on. So let's talk a little bit about like you know your experience of on the day that the studio itself... Yeah, it was um, something I couldn't really prepare myself for, to be honest. I mean, how can you? I didn't really know what to expect the first time because, as I said last time I was on, uh, I originally filmed a different show. The studio where they filmed the reviews, it uh, it wasn't actually a a TV studio at all. It was was an audio um, recording studio. And uh, they had the filming going on in the area where the... um, uh, the performer would normally be, and they were using the uh, like the control room as as like a sort of makeshift green room uh, for everybody who wasn't currently involved in the filming at, at at any time, you know, to just kind of stay in there. And they had like a bench on one side of the room, just all decked out with all the um, PCs, Amigas, Super Nintendos. It was like an Aladdin's cave in there. It was, it was awesome. Uh, to be honest, I'd, I'd never seen anything like it. You know, there were like cartridges lying around everywhere, like big piles of floppy disks. Um, yeah, if you can imagine the chaos, um, 
you know, fair play to the the uh, the production crew who were kind of running the show because it it was difficult. You could tell they were sort of running around like mad and getting a bit stressed. So not only that, there were people that that I recognised from like video games press. You know, there were people from Meme Machines there. Uh, computer and video games you know you've got um, video game journalism royalty all around and unlike me I had no idea what I was really meant to be doing there and uh, found myself at one point standing next to Jazz Rignall and just having a little chat with him and uh, yeah it was just just a really nice moment I didn't expect to meet anybody from the actual show because uh, you know I gathered that they would film the reviews completely separately from the main show I, I think I said to uh, Ian Ross, who was the, the researcher who was sort of coordinating uh, the day for me. I don't suppose we'll see Dominic then. And uh, he kind of went, oh, yeah, he's over there. And because uh, <laughs> he was an associate producer on series two, uh, he was kind of involved in the production quite heavily. Uh, the review section especially, he was, he was there sort of throughout providing the people doing the filming with sort of jumping off points and things. He was like trying to sort of get get bits out of them. And, you know, he, he was really quite heavily involved, which which was a nice surprise because, you know, obviously I, I got to meet him and, you know, he was really friendly, really encouraging and just just really nice, you know. The, the second time I went down, because um, obviously I had to go back and, you know, a few weeks later, this would have been filming episodes 20 and 24. And also with them being the slightly more involved games, not the kind of games that you can pick up in five minutes and get really, you know, you need to put the time in, get your head around the sort of God games. And uh, it was uh, it, it was a lot more stressful, I found, <laughs> for everybody. I think everybody was a bit stressed by that point because Series 2 had already started airing by then. So, you know, I'd, I'd seen other, other shows go out and... Yeah, it just made it all the more surreal that I was now involved in this series myself. Yeah, speaking with uh, Rick Henderson for our Games World episode, he was kind of talking about the uh, the, the camaraderie uh, around sort of the production teams around Hewland, you know, between Games Master and Games World. So, like it, it, as you said, like Dominic was a associate producer on the second series, so it it really is kind of like unsurprising that you would say that he was down there because like it, from the sounds of things like speaking with Rick it seems like he was just across everything and like everyone was just kind of sort of mucking in it's one of the things I, I, I really like about Games Master and certainly going back and revisiting it and speaking with the people involved is that it, it feels less of a TV show and more of a load of mates just hanging out and have somehow also accidentally made this TV show that's about them and their mates having a lot of fun and talking about things that they like. Yeah, uh, it certainly came across that way. Uh, obviously, I had no idea how they usually make TV programmes. That was my first and, and only experience of it. The one thing that really sort of came across about Dominic that I wasn't expecting was just how into his games he was. He took a bit of getting used to, for me, to be honest, initially, because I wasn't sure really. Obviously, he, he wasn't a well-known person, and he, he didn't really seemed to associate with the what was going on in the games that much. And uh, there were a couple of moments through series one where I thought to myself, you know, is, is he is he really does he really not not have, have a clue what's going on or is he is he just uh, is he just doing it for effect? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, because having met him and seen him up at work on the show, he, he's really into games and has been for some time. And I remember him coming through the door so absolutely distraught at one point. Um, so people turn around like, what, what's, what's going on? He, and he, he sort of points behind him. He goes, he's just slated my favourite game. You know? <laughs> <laughs> how, how dare he? <laughs> you know, I'm not having this. <laughs> you know, in, in good humour. But uh, that sort of passion was just there all the time. That that really did sort of come across. Even even something quite as secluded as filming these reviews in this little studio with only a handful of people around. 
you know, he, he still kind of had that energy, which was, it kind of motivated everyone else a bit more, I think. I think one of my takes on Dominic, particularly having gone through season one and season two, heard things like what you said, and also heard what he said on podcasts and his own Twitch stream and talking about his gaming habits then and now, is he was a gamer, but he was a gamer to his type of games. Yeah. And I know he did get a lot of flack from the games journalists because they saw him, especially at first, as an imposter. And there was a little bit of bitterness as why has he got this gig? Why didn't they come to the journalists that, that yeah. do this? Yeah. With the best will in the world, I don't think any of the journalists on season one or season two were equipped to do what Dominic did. I just want to touch upon something you said, because you said about seeing Jazz Rignall at the taping session and getting to chat with him a bit. Now, I do feel a bit bad because growing up, Jazz Rignall to me in the magazines was the coolest dude. He was the guy I wanted to be. I remember looking at him going, I want my hair long like that. And I'll be honest, <laughs> I've got my hair long, but thankfully for my general quality of life, I don't have my hair long like that in 2020. But he always seems like he doesn't want to be there. And we rag on him a bit. And I kind of regret that we rag on him a bit because, as I say, he was a hero. Did he ever seem disinterested in the process when you saw him? Or do you think that was just his on-camera style? Um, I think he's, he's just a bit quiet, generally, as, as a person. Uh, he certainly was then. I mean, obviously, nobody was as quiet as me in that room. I really kind of struggled to uh, talk to people in that in that scenario. I found that even harder than being on camera. You know, I, I couldn't not sort of try and say hello because he was stood right next to me. I'd, uh, I'd I'd sort of been aware of him since the sort of mid eighties. You know, yeah, he did like the tip section in Zap, mm. um, and that was the main reason I bought Zap. It was for the pokes. You know, it was for the cheat section. So he was the main man at Mean Machines as well, which was my favourite magazine then. Yeah. So he kind of embodied everything that was like great about games magazines at the time and you know he was just there and he was there to do the same thing that I was so yeah that was pretty awesome to be honest that was one of the one of the things I remember most about the day I just want to say that this is the third time we've recorded with you it's the first time your webcam has worked whatever people have said online I can confirm and Luke can confirm you have two perfectly normal eyes that are in the right position on your head and proportional to the rest of your head. So people <laughs> need to basically shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's very kind. We're team Dan. <laughs> First up, loads of funny blokes with big facial hair and horrible hats, the Lost Vikings, a madcap platform romp on your Super NES. You have three characters. Each one has its own special abilities. One jumps, one shoots arrows, and one holds his shield above his head. Big deal. There's obviously been quite a good attempt to put a lot of depth in the game, but it just doesn't come off as well as it could have. The game itself is pretty large, the graphics are good, the sound is excellent, but there's not that much different to it. But we do have mm. three games, and in Games Master's Edition, they are held together by a wafer-thin theme yes. of ancestral games. Yeah, evolution games, I believe they were referring to them as. <laughs> or men with beards, I guess, is more appropriate. Yeah, and up first, we've got Lost Vikings on the SNES, uh, which is a game, actually. I mean, I, I've not played the SNES version, but I played the Mega Drive version. I loved Lost Vikings. I think it's a really cool game. But uh, you're right in terms of, like, when you think about evolution, the one thing I don't tend to think of is... 
time traveling Vikings. I also played The Lost Vikings. I think I played The Lost Vikings 2 slightly more than The Lost Vikings. But the one thing that struck me about this review right out of the bat, Dan, you were throwing some shade at this game. I know. Oh dear. <laughs> yes. Yeah, not, not only did I look like that, I was sort of trying to be cheeky as well. Um, so didn't really work, did it? Um, <laughs> I persuade it caught my attention yeah. uh, because you listed their three special abilities of one shoots arrows, one jumps, and one holds his shield above his head. Big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I absolutely yeah, love I, that. I think I, th- I think of all the sound bites they used um, of any of the reviews that I did, that was the one I was most most proud of because I really definitely had an opinion on that game. It wasn't a particularly good one, and because uh, some of the other games I'd reviewed, I didn't really know how to play them. I was literally just winging it, just trying to get through and you know give them something they can use. This one, I can remember playing it vividly, and I can remember just not really getting into it. I mean, I normally like sort of runny, jumpy platform games, but something about this one, I just didn't like. I felt I felt like you you kind of, because you've got the three characters to get through each level, you kind of have to play the same level three times. You have to be the right guy for the right bit of the level. And that just annoyed me. I, I wasn't um, getting into it at all. And it was almost a relief that I could go and do the filming, having a lot to say about a game. And it didn't matter to me if it was good or bad, really. I just wanted to have something to say about one of them. And I thought this one, yeah, I, I, I know this type of game. And I think because I've been down previously and, and done flashback and was absolutely blown away by it, that is a runny jumpy platform game. You know, that that was just, you know, perfect for me. Uh, everything I like in a game, they, they kind of done it. I get why people like it. I get why it's quite popular. And, you know, but yeah, I, I did uh, I did play the game again recently and it was a bit more fun than I remember it being. Obviously, very different circumstances. I could sort of take my time with it and I was just sort of playing it for me rather than for the purposes of critiquing it. Yeah, it's it's all right. I still wouldn't put a great deal of time into it, to be honest. It still didn't quite grab me. Paul doesn't think much of it either. He says it uh, could have been better than it was. And James says that it looks and sounds great, but there's not much different to it, which I'm, I'm not really sure what he meant by that. Uh, but 80%, which is a pretty respectable score, given the comments that were made about it. Yeah, as I said, like I was, I really liked Lost Viking. Yeah, I, I was perhaps a bit harsh uh, towards it, but... Uh... I don't know. I think on on the day it was just a bit uh, just just a just a bit dull compared to some of the other games I've been playing recently. Well, despite only having two games yeah. to their names, the Lost Vikings themselves continue to find favour with Interplay. They appeared in Rock and Roll Racing, both as a billboard and as an unlockable character. They had various cameos in the Clay Fighter games. They even made an appearance in World of Warcraft. Did they really? really? Yeah, they were in one of the dungeons or something. So they they found some favour there. It's it's funny you mentioned rock and roll racing because that is probably my number one favorite snes game ever that's oh, great uh, such a great soundtrack as well i, I don't count street fighter 2 because obviously you know i play the arcade version nowadays there's a remastered mega drive version of it now which is which is better um but uh, yeah evolve your band of little wee men faster than the other bands of little wee men in megalomania the mega drive version of the amiga classic there's a hell of a lot of depth to it and there's some really great graphics in there the more experience you get of the game the more intelligent your people get. It could get to the stage where your opponents come out armed with sticks and you give them full offence with nuclear weapons. There's a lot of humour, there's a lot of tactical play 
and you've got to think hard to win. Up next, we've got Megalomania on the Mega Drive, one of my favorites from my childhood. Uh, Paul says it's got a hell of a lot of death. Uh, Dan, you get fast forwarded at this point because you say like, eventually you get to the point where you talk about how uh, you get to face people who've got sticks, but you've got nuclear weapons. What was it that you said that got fast forwarded? It could have just been a load of waffle, to be honest, because I really struggled with this one. I only got to play it for about 10 minutes. Oh, that's not enough time. No, and uh, I barely scratched the surface. The, the other thing was they couldn't have the sound on uh, on all the games. Obviously, it has really good music on the Mega Drive and like loads and loads of speech, and I, I would have loved that. But um, yeah, just sort of playing it with the sound off. I think they did have the manual, but uh, I only got a chance to sort of, sort of skim read it. And uh, I'm like trying to play it at the same time and trying to work out what I was supposed to do. Because uh, unfortunately, unlike um, Populous 2, uh, I'd never played it before. And on the letter they sent me um, with the date of when to come down, they did say, you know, they did list the games that I would probably be reviewing. And they said, if you can, try them out in a shop or something. You know, that was that was all I could have really done. <laughs> and uh I just wasn't able to. So um, what I was saying during the filming was mostly just somebody prompting me. There's a bit of a pause in what I'm saying at one point. It's painfully obvious. I'm looking at somebody else in the room. <laughs> He's sort of nodding. <laughs> one thing I will say is you stayed on brand from your last appearance because on your last appearance, when we were talking about Populous, you were quite bloodthirsty with the volcanoes. And here, you also leap straight to nuclear weapons. <laughs> you, you clearly, as a teenager, had an apocalypse kind of bent that you were going on a little bit. <laughs> It's not the whole point of God Games, you know. It's like just just blowing stuff up and mass genocide. That's the whole point of it, isn't it? Well, I might have, maybe I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> Honestly, man, you do you with the God Games. <laughs> well, you should watch me playing Lemons. <laughs> And I don't think Dan's wrong with Megalomania either. And like, and particularly, you kind of mentioned it as well, Dan, that it's got amazing music. The voice samples of it. The Mega Drive's not really known for its voice sampling. Uh, I think it, it's no. Good. That was definitely more more of an Amiga thing, wasn't it? Yeah, and and the SNES was really good for it as well. The Mega Drive was actually a bit pants for it at times. But I uh, yeah. I, th- I think Megalomania comes through really crisp and clear. I think the voice work is really great on it. Will you join me? Huh. No. You got it, Buster. Ergonomically terrific. The design's ready. The mind's destroyed! We've won! I'm pretty sure my brother got it when we got our Mega Drive. And I I didn't get it at first. I really... Because it's... I I was, you know, the the runny, jumpy kind of kid. It it has very strange box art, the Mega Drive version. Yeah, it really does, yeah. And it doesn't... It's not really in keeping with the game. You don't really get a feel for what the game's all about looking at the box. So it's just a very strange bit of marketing. It looks like it would be the cover for Lawnmower Man. Yes, it does. I I read somewhere that the the guy on the the cover is, is Angus Deaton. I don't... I don't know where I read that, but, uh, or it looks like him anyway. Someone said it looks like him, and it kind it kind of does, but 
I don't, I don't know. Don't, don't quote me on that. So yeah, so I, my my brother got the the game. I, I I didn't get it at first, but then he kind of sort of showed me how it worked, and and after that I was hooked. And every now and again I will go back to it. And uh, I had one of those like little portable Mega Drive things that you can get for like twenty five quid. You load load an SD card in there with a you know thousand ROMs on it, and that would always be the game Ooh. that I would go to. Uh, I'd always really uh, always head to Megalomania. Absolutely loved. That'd give you quite bad eye strain, wouldn't it? Playing a game on a, <laughs> yeah, like a four-inch screen. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not the most optimum way to play it. Yeah, it's not, not the most <laughs> optimum way to play it. I, I feel a bit um, a, a bit sad about it, really, because having played it more recently, I, I would have loved it back in the day if I could have got into it. Um, it is definitely a game I would have bought. If I'd been able to play it beforehand, or if I'd been able to get my head around it when I was there on the show, I would have. I, you know, I probably would have bought it when I got home, you know, as soon as I got the money. <laughs> The other thing I wanted to give a shout out to Megalomania before we move on to our next game is uh, the song that was uh, released by Dewberry, Megalomania, brackets, going all the way. It was released as a single. It kind of remixes some of the uh, the music from the game, also features some voice samples. I own the single, so perhaps this is just a little bit of bias for me because I love the game. I think it's genuinely quite a good little song. I've never heard that. I will have to check it out. Uh, Polygram did like released a whole album of Megalomania tracks in 93. But Dubry was the only one that was released as a single. I haven't listened to the whole album. But if you like your electronic house music, then uh, it might be right up your alley. And I'll be honest, I don't. But uh, I do think the song is quite good. <laughs> Finally, come to the aid of the kidnapped cave babes and join Mike. This platform game is the largest ever on the Game Boy. The characters blend in with the backgrounds too much. You can't see what you're doing sometimes. The gameplay is not bad. It's a fairly average uh, platform game. The game is tough, but it's frustrating. It's not something you're going to enjoy playing. And Mario Land 2 is a better bet. And our last game to talk about is on the Game Boy. It's the largest ever Game Boy game, apparently. It's Joe and Mac. The uh, the SNES game comes to the portable consoles. You had a big criticism against this game, Dan, which is that the characters blend into the background, so you can't really see what you're doing. Yeah, I remember that being a thing, definitely. And uh, it's it's perhaps a little bit unfair that that's, that's the thing that they used because I, I like to think I gave it a pretty mixed review at the time. It wasn't uh, it wasn't overwhelmingly negative. Bearing in mind how overwhelmingly negative I'd been up until that point <laughs> on the show, I wouldn't have been surprised if practically everybody watching just wants to punch me in the face. I certainly did. I don't know, just a bit of a nitpick, really. Didn't think the game itself was all that bad, especially on the Game Boy because, you know, the sprites are big. A lot of work's gone into it. Strangely, though, it wasn't on a, a Game Boy. It was like a Game Boy player thing. This was before the Super Game Boy. The thing they had at, uh, in the studio was like you get in shops where you'd have the, the Game Boy screen on a CRT. I was, I was used to playing on a Game Boy and playing a Game Boy game on a 14-inch CRT 
And I, I still found myself squinting at the screen a little bit, trying to spot things that were moving, because the, the game itself is pretty hard. It's one of those games where you have to sort of shuffle along a bit and uh, start firing, because you know something's going to appear. By the time yeah. it's appeared, it's already too late. It's already started. You've already started taking damage. So I didn't particularly enjoy playing it, but, you know, having said that, it, it was all right. I could kill a few hours playing it, I guess. To be honest, I agree with James's comments on it, really, which is like, yeah, it's good. Like, it's not bad, but Mario Land 2 is available for the Game Boy. And if you've only, if you've got the choice between that and Joe and Mac, then Mario Land 2 is definitely the way to go. Well, Total and Nintendo Power agree with you as both of their reviews were critical of motion blur and the main sprites blending in with the background. So your criticism was fair and backed up by journalists in magazines as well. It's nice to think that, you know, at that age and that scenario, there were still like one or two moments where I perhaps didn't know what I was talking about. And it's interesting you mentioned that they had kind of Game Boy dev type kit that allowed you to play it on a TV because the one thing I immediately noticed on this compared to a lot of Game Boy footage we've seen on the program previously when we looked at Bad Influence and the screenshots that we've seen in magazines is this is the first time I've seen footage of a Game Boy and gone, oh, this is a frame grabber rather than someone focusing a camera at the handheld. So this must have been when they just started to come in and actually become available because until then, taking screenshots, I mean, if you go back and you look at magazine scans now, it's kind of painful. And so this was really nice to see. They they used to have to put like this big hood over the screen with the camera in it uh, just to sort of block out all the ambient light. I did find the Game Boy title screen, which they showed briefly in the review, quite disturbing because Joe or Mac, I'm not sure which one it was, looks borderline rabid. Something about the way they rendered him on the Game Boy screen. He looks like he's just gone full on postal. He's glaring with hatred and his teeth are kind of like gnashing. And I'm like, this is a cartoony game. Having a guy with like massive starey eyes on the screen who wasn't me at that point was a, was a blessing <laughs> as far as I was concerned. Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show once again. Thank you so much for joining us for this review section. Uh, this is your final appearance in Games Master, uh, but I hope it's not the last time we hear from you on Under Consultation. No, I, I, I would I would happily come back anytime um it's, it's been great thanks ever so much for having me on the show no no thank you very much since games master began games playing has been dominated by one man the great daniel curley tonight's feature assesses the life of this gaming legend i was uh, born in manchester uh, in a hospital called crumpsall and six years later started playing video games when we got that first joystick i remember it well he said to me i'm going to be the world's greatest games player i laughed at him of course but uh since then, no one's been able to touch them, have they? I first heard about the UK Sega Championship through an article in a magazine. I had confidence in myself, entered the Manchester final, went to the UK final, destroyed everybody, and uh, went for the European final, which I won easy. Danny successfully defended his UK Championship last year and began work as a professional games tester for Teartex. However, a scandal broke out when Sega sensationally stripped him of his title because he now was a professional player. I still reckon I'm a righteous game player. Could take on Razor Abdelal at any time, who's currently the European Sega champion. So, Razor, you know my name, you know where I live, anytime. Legends are created by adoring fans, so what do the people think about Danny? It's fantastic. Utterly fantastic. Maybe a little bit better than me, but he's alright. Who? He could definitely beat me. Well, I think he's uh, not bad as Evans. He's, he's like God, like he's God. all over again. Magic. His uh, dexterity is unflagging ability to play 10 hours on end without food, light, 
uh, qualifies him as a major video game mushroom. Finally, Danny, what's your message to the world? You want to be a true games tester, play hard and do good at school. You want to be a true champion and forget it, there's only one, me. Daniel Corley, we salute you. So from one Games Master legend called Dan to another Games Master legend called Dan, it's the life and times of Danny Curley. So I referenced this feature a couple of weeks back when they did the Gaming Grannies in the Trocadero, that it's kind of that sort of irreverent feature content that I think the Games Master is moving more towards as opposed to being like, here are three suits from Acorn, Apple and Atari to tell you about their latest. You said Apple, not Amiga. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. And like it... Apple and Amiga in the same boat. Luke, we're going to get letters. <laughs> I mean, and by that, I mean all three of them look the same. The, the lads in the suits. In defense, the Amiga guy was actually pretty bang on, which is a good reason not to mention him because he did that challenge. The humans That's right, challenge. He did, yeah, Kelly yeah he nailed it and gave us Grand Theft Auto via a roundabout way. But like, I think they're moving further away from that into this style of content and actually this is way better produced than that 32-bit feature that they had a few weeks back or you know that cd feature they had a few weeks back where you kind of get these sort of boring lads just talking to camera about here's how a cd works this is way better produced it's way better put together and it's way funnier because of it. This veers between being semi-serious and being spinal tap. And it starts off perfectly normally. Danny says he was born in a hospital in Manchester, Crumpsall Hospital to be specific. And then six years later, he picked up a joystick and he started playing games. So far, so normal. Until we get Sir Chris Knight, OBE. Luke, I yeah. don't think he's actually knighted. I think his surname is just Knight. Therefore, Sir I think that you might be onto something with that, yeah. Especially as he says that when Daniel got his first joystick, which does imply a former editor of Sega Force is stalking a child, but he (laughs) said that when Dan got his first joystick, he said, I'm going to be the world's greatest games player, and they laughed. Yeah, and he proved them wrong, and he beat everyone. He talks about beating everyone at the National, UK, and European Championships while walking past a sex shop. Uh, But then they reveal that Sega stripped him of that championship because he now works in the games industry. Yeah, he does take a look at a sex shop window, but clearly there's only one kind of joystick that he's interested in. However, (laughs) my initial notes on this from the beginning is, why are they walking past fruit and veg stores? And then when we talked to Dan earlier and we talked about the studio that Dan went to to record this, it was a Tetris happening in my mind All the blocks dropped into place because the studio they recorded the reviews in is right next door to this area of Soho because what you've got is you've got the kind of bridge between Soho and the back end of Oxford Street. You've got that corridor which is still there today and on the one side you've got the Paul Raymond review bar and at the time this was recorded, on the other side, you've got the sex shops, you've got the strip clubs, you've got the strange little adult cinemas. You have got Soho before it became sanitised. Yeah. I have travelled down that passage, diamondism, more times than I care to remember because it is a convenient way to cut off Oxford Street and get into the heart of Soho. And so as soon as I saw Dan there, I'm like, I know exactly where that is. There used to be a really good record shop, but gentrification happened and that's no longer there. I think it was one of the flashback record stores. I think it might And if you still go up, you've also got one of the Rough Trades and Sister Rays and a few other record stores located in that area. So that was actually lovely for me because I immediately knew where Dan was and it was nice to see what the area looked like at this 
time because much like 42nd Street and Times Square in New York, I only have footage like this and books and bits of documentary footage to know what these areas of London were like before they were made safe. Yeah, no, completely. Like it's, I, I know that area in my life as a, as a, a movie journalist uh, an online movie journalist, not a proper one. Hey, um, I just had to go around. Like, that's what people were saying anyway. But that's what I had to go around to that area quite a lot because that's where the press screenings were. Um, and you know, it's, it's not too far from Tottenham Court Road, and a lot of PR companies are down there as well. So I used to have to go down to the PR offices around that area. So I, I it was actually really nice to see it, and because we've been in lockdown you know in the uk now for so long like you know we mentioned that you and i have done more episodes of this show in lockdown than we have in studio i i it actually made me a bit sort of nostalgic for it and kind of like like it made me really want to go around that i've not left very west london in uh in, you know, in six months i've not gone to that area in so long i really want to go to that area so this is actually a really nice little way to transport me there that area used to be my stomping grounds it's one of the first places i went with any regularity as an adult in london was tottenham court road and specifically the fitzroy tavern where i used to hang about with people that have now gone on to have major producing careers is and written Doctor Who, Sherlock. Man, I feel like I've really underachieved at this point. But anyway, that was where I used to hang out. Then we used to go into Soho. You had the Crowbar. I used to run events at the uh, the Royal George, which is just behind what is now the Tottenham Court Road uh, Crossrail Station, as well as the Underground. That whole area was what made me fall in love with London. Everything between Piccadilly mm -hmm. and Tottenham Court Road and beyond, up to Good Street, and where the original couple of CEX shops are back when they used to sell import games i remember going there oh man lockdown fucking sucks because i miss all this i want to go to the yeah, crowbar no, man i, really I want to go do shots but anyway back to the the curly section he even throws out a challenge to uh razor abdelali uh who we had on games master about quite a few weeks ago now in that streets of rage 2 final challenge on that show but then we get these interviews with random people on the streets you know, random people where they'd be like, hey, can you just say to the camera, oh, he's brilliant. He's this, he's that, he's the other. Apart from that one lad who goes, oh. Yeah, so I've got my notes here because one of these guys is less than random. Yeah, this guy is very famous, in fact. <laughs> yeah. it's, our, it's our third Who's Line, is it, anyway, alumni Absolutely. on this show. And given where he was interviewed, he could have come straight from the comedy store where he'd have been working with the comedy store players. Yeah, Mike McShane from Who's Line, is it, anyway, is just on the And the big one with Sandy Toxby, yeah. also a Channel 4 production. But he's very, very good in this segment, actually. He sells the line. He says he's magic. He admires his dexterity and ability to play for 10 hours on end without food or light and says it qualifies him as a gaming mushroom. <laughs> Which I was thinking, holy shit, that's a slam on a guy you're meant to be doing a Vox piece on but again it walks this line between being serious and now we're into Spinal Tap or more accurately Ruttles territory this reminds me of the section in the Ruttles All You Need Is Cash where they ask the man on the street and one of the last people they ask is George Harrison because the other thing we've not mentioned about this segment is that every now and again they have this image this video and it is in fact it's the metallica vest wearing challenger from the danny curly challenge that we had earlier the one who challenged him to the speed test on sonic uh, on sonic the hedgehog but they've so they've got him raising his hand up into the air to, to ask for answer the challenge but they've superimposed a pink heart ring over his face with danny curly's face in it and that is like you like it's so 
It's full-on parody. I absolutely love it, but they've not just superimposed Danny Curley's face, it's looped about two seconds of footage and also superimposed a pair of female arms that seem to be stroking his thigh and joystick area. It's a mood, Luke. It's an absolute mood to use the parlance of the kids. And then the final bit we get of this is Danny Curley not being able to talk into a microphone. He does say the same things. Kids don't do drugs. If you want to be a great games tester, stay in school, get an education, play hard. But if you want to be a true champion, forget it. There's only one him. Danny Curley, we salute you. That was a weird ass segment and I loved every second of it. Oh, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was so funny. I thought it was so great. I said this about the Gaming Granny segment. I feel that this is what Games Masters should be doing because Bad Influence can do the CD segments. They can do the 32-bit segments. This is where Games Master thrives. Well, you know where else Games Master thrives, Luke? Where's that? It's a sporting-based celebrity challenge. (laughs) It certainly is. Let's head on over to Games Master to find out a little bit more information about it. Hello again. The game I've chosen for tonight's second encounter is called Summer Challenge. And within that game, I've opted for one of my favorite Olympic disciplines, the javelin. Each contestant has three attempts to achieve the longest possible throw. Uh, please provide me with something to remember. So it's Summer Challenge on the Javelin game, uh, one of Games Master's favorites, apparently. Three attempts to get the longest throw. Uh, can you tell me anything about Summer Challenge? I, it looked like a Neo Geo game, but it's clearly an Amiga game. It is an Amiga game. It's a sequel to Winter Challenge. There are actually eight different events. And I'll be honest, I think he chose one of the more boring ones because the others were Kayak, Archery, High Jump, Pole Vault, Equestrian... Mm. cycling and the 400 meters hurdle and i'm betting they chose this because they got the guest booked before they'd picked the game that is 100 percent the reason why yeah i mean i would love to see a kayak challenge because it would be the closest we'd get to seeing the game tubin on games master <laughs> and i loved tubin tubin was a great game the music is still in my head 30 plus years later our challenger, Simon Hadlington from Stourbridge, may have bitten off more than he can chew here because he is taking on the might of Javelin World Record Order, Steve Backley. Yay! All right. Welcome, Simon. All right, now, Steve, first of all, you're, you are the world record holder just now. What does That's it right. stand at? The world record is 91.46. And what have you been getting on the game? Close to it, actually. I'm fancying my chances under pressure, you know, to uh, maybe pull it off. All right. Do you actually get a lot of chance to play games after a hard day's training? All the time. I do it non-stop. Uh, do you ever get a bit annoyed and throw your joystick away? I would do, yeah. If it weren't attached to the computer, it'd probably go a fair way, but yeah. Oh, they'd go I, for I, miles. I go, I go, through, go through or through them, yeah. <laughs> well, listen, Simon, how do you fancy your chances? I mean, he's, he's, the, he's the main man. He is, but I'm hoping to do a bit of a Zelezny on him tonight. And, uh, well, you better watch out, that's all I can say. I think he's rallied you a little bit there, Steve. Well, listen, I, I tell you what, listen, Simon, um, Steve needs a wee bit longer to warm up. It's quite cold out here. So if you'd like to go first, yeah. Steve, if you can just uh, warm yourself up and get ready to go second. Well, let's find out about that celebrity guest because Simon Haddington has bitten off more than he can chew, taking on Steve Backley, the world record holder for Javelin. He formerly held the world record and his 91.46 metre throw is, I believe, still. Oh, wow, is it really? Yeah, so that record was made on 25th of January 1992. Yeah, we are now approaching 29 years of this record being held. There aren't many records that outdo that. Only one that I can see glancing at the record tables is the pentathlon, which has stood 
since the 20th of May 1970. Although fellow video game alumni Daley Thompson, his decathlon record still stands from 1984. So there you go. But the other thing I'll say about Steve on this is I think he's really, really good. We've had a lot of sports personalities on Games Master over the two series that we've done, and they've been a mixed bag, I would say. Some have been very, very good, and others have looked like they don't want to be there. Ian Wright and Vinnie Jones uh, are ones that spring to mind and just thought the monosyllabic answers. Steve Backley, on the other hand, is so game for this. He's so affable and he talks about his world records as I can actually get quite close to it on the game. I play games all the time, things like that. Sometimes Dominic Diamond asked, do you ever throw the joystick? I mean, he'd be screwed in this sort of modern day where there's now wireless because thankfully the wires are stopping him from throwing it. I tell you what, he'd have been a bugger when the Wii came out because those televisions wouldn't have survived either. But I think he's really, really good. And then he plays up to Simon as well because Simon, his challenger, is kind of trying to rile him up and things like that. It's really good natured and it's good fun. Yeah, because Dominic asks Simon how he fancies his chances and he says that he's thinking of pulling a bit of a Zelezny. And Zelezny was the guy that beat his first world record because he set the record at 89.58 meters back in July of 1990 and then Zelezny beat it a few weeks later so he had to go and take the record back for himself but that immediately riles Steve up and he's kind of like getting the elbow in and nudging him in the ribs this is lovely this is playing up this is interaction this is a guy that knows how to work a crowd and it's no wonder he went on to become a commentator and a pundit in his retirement yeah this guy's a natural on camera and joining me tonight is Neil West from Mega welcome Neil hello Dominic now Neil it's a fairly simple challenge there's any little tips you could give them nonetheless it's all about angle of projection and speed if they can get as close to about 38 degrees as possible they should be doing okay i've i've got a bit of a theory that i want to approach to you ash um there's two versions of neil west in this world there's neil west that wears the big cuddly sega jumper and then there's the bad boy version of him there's his evil twin brother that wears the leather jacket and is a bit of a bad boy see my note just said he'd clearly run out of jumpers to change into so he just nicked dave perry's jacket <laughs> I think it's Neil West towards the end of the series like no I want to look cool I want to, I, I've, I've won the Sega Jumper now I want to try and look a little bit different I'm going to look a bit cool maybe it was just a case of going over to Dave it's like I mean I can't borrow your bandana but can I borrow your leather jacket if you're going to be the game's animal I can be the game's amphibian <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Neil West is in the booth and he's great uh, it talks about how this is all about angle and projection you want to aim for about 38 degrees anytime Neil West appears on this show I don't need to worry about what's coming because he's just a solid hand at this. He is consistently good whenever he's on the mic. Uh, Simon is up first. Uh, he gets 90.72 for his first throw. You would get really good closer from him hammering the keys for uh, an 83 on his second one. Slower. The angle wasn't quite as good. And then for his third and final attempt, he gets a heck of a lot of speed, but unfortunately runs over the line and gets a foul. But even though they they, they show it, you know, land and everything, but he, it, I can't remember what it was, but it was lower than 90.72. It was about 87 meters. Basically, he had the speed but even if he hadn't gone over the line his angle was off yeah still though 90.72 is a very very good score to beat it would have beaten steve's first world record well it looks like steve backley's up against it here he's gonna to have to go close to his own world record if he wants to walk off with tonight's golden joystick if you want to see how he does join us after the break <laughs> Grease. Tough cleaning challenge? New Finish Ultra Plus can handle it. 
even tougher. Imagine you left your dirty dishes and cups in the dishwasher for two days. It couldn't get worse. New Finish Ultra Plus is concentrated, so you need only half the normal amount. And thanks to its super cleaners, you get spotless dishes. And everything sparkles. Finish Ultra Plus. Brilliant cleaning starts with finish. Now we don't throw non-degradable plastics away, do we? Not when we can turn them into a super duper. Super scooper! Tonight on Sega TV, garbage! But on interactive TV, you can get rid of it! Play Global Gladiators and you'll clean up the planet! Unless you're rubbish. I'm talking of rubbish. Sega TV, putty spot! They've lined up the wall! What a rocketing shot! He's cleaned up! 24 hours Sega TV! Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Now remember, the editor said we got to get all the nitty-gritty on him this time. Right. He's having breakfast. Breakfast, well, what is it? Whole wheat flakes with raisins and bananas. Bananas. No, hold it. It's coconut and apple. Apple. No. Kellogg Fruit and Fibre, a delicious combination of tastes in every bite. Hello? Fancy a bowl of Kellogg's Fruit and Fibre, lads? We've been wrong! Kellogg's Fruit and Fibre, never the same bite twice. <laughs> Welcome back. You've joined us at the midpoint of a thrilling javelin contest. Simon Haddington from Starbridge has thrown 90.72 metres. Now we move on to world record holder Steve Backley to see what he can produce. And coming out of that ad break, Steve Backley is up next. He's a little slow and a bit too high on his first attempt, 75.36. They're basically like on commentary saying that he's playing it safe on his first one, you know, really sort of getting a feel for things. And his second one is great. It gets an 87.12, but unfortunately the angle is just a bit too high on his third attempt for 83.02. Simon is the winner and boy howdy did Simon Simon wants to win this challenge. He is thrilled that he won this. Well, it got quite, it got quite close at the end there, Steve. That was a, it was a, a very safe series of throws there. But yeah, talk us but, through it. But, but. That's the big word, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I, 
came close down to the wire, but uh, next time, eh? I'll have him. I'm going into serious, serious training now. Two I'm, losses in one year. I don't know if I can handle it. Really. I've got to ask you in the best Jim Rosenthal tradition, how do you feel? <laughs> I'm gutted. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Simon. That was a brilliant throw. Not quite enough to beat uh, Steve's world record. No, it wasn't. But, well, did the job. Beat the lad. And, well... Yeah. He's got some bragging rights because you know what? He said he was going to do a Zelezny and I'm disappointed he didn't comment on that because that is actually exactly what he did. Yeah. Dominic goes for the post-match and he says to Steve that it got quite close at the end, but in general, it was a safe series of throws, but... And Steve goes, yeah, that's the word, but... Unfortunately, it came close down to the wire, but, you know, next time. Exactly. Talking about getting into serious training, he's gutted i thought he was so so great in this yeah he does say two losses in one year is a bit hard to handle and oh i felt bad for him <laughs> but simon plays up his end of the bargain as well saying, so, you know i didn't break the record but i beat the lad i i've got to be honest with you ash while the game wasn't really much cop i really enjoyed this challenge because i thought both challenges were great and i thought dominic was great and i thought neil west did his job as well everyone on the mic was comfortable verbose and had some jokes and that was great. That's what you need from a challenge. It needs to leave you smiling and feeling like you had a good time. My only real nitpick on the game is why were they using the keyboard? This is a proper joystick well, waggler. <laughs> this is literally the sort of game that broke joysticks. Were they worried that they didn't have enough to see them through the end of the season? <laughs> so, Luke, what information can you give us from your girthy tome? Uh, well, this is from Star Riggers 4 from the Games Master official book about Steve Backley. Dominic Diamond writes, The obvious worry when you have someone like Steve Backley on the show is, this is a bloke who throws a spear 100 metres. If he loses and gets annoyed, how far will he throw me? So as you can imagine, I was rooting for Mr. Backley every step of the way. When he arrived, I approached him cautiously as he is a huge bloke, but his face broke into a smile and I realised he was far too nice to throw young Scottish TV presenters off oil rigs. He brought along one of his javelins and I gingerly felt the tip, hoping I would not end up impaled on it. So, to the challenge. It was a javelin event, surprisingly enough, on Summer Challenge on the PC. It was a case of bash the buttons and then get the angle right. His opponent, Simon Hadley, was a professional games tester, so things did not look good for Big Steve. Simon went first and easily broke the 90 meter mark. Steve's first throw was in the low 80s. His next was a monster, but his feet were over the line and it was a foul. For his final throw, he tanked it along the runway, but his angle was too high and he ended up a good eight meters behind Simon. I made a quip about his great rival, Jan Zelaney, and his eyes darkened, but I lived few. Games playing skills, two and a half stars. Personal niceness, five stars. Sounds absolutely fair. Also appreciated the tip joke. Yes. <laughs> Just the tip. So I wonder then if that second throw, the one that he talks about was a foul, was either Dominic misremembering something or whether it was from a different take that they did. Both are entirely possible because we have had other instances in Star Riggers where the reality we're shown does not match up with Dominic's recollection. But you know what? That's fine. That's absolutely fine. Hello, Games Master. Welcome up to the helipad. How can I help fill your game-playing void? On Super Mario World, I can't get out of Chocolate Island 3. What am I doing wrong? You've obviously failed to find the true exit from this level. Simply take the deer and fly beneath the first set of goalposts to find the second hidden set of goalposts further to the right. 
Thanks a lot. You made reference to it earlier. Our first kid is stuck on Chocolate Island 3 on Super Mario World, uh, making its second appearance in this episode. Games Master says you need to take the real exit, take to the air, fly over the post for the second one. Uh, we had something similar to this on episode 18 with the Valley of Bowser 2 uh, secret exit. Uh, it's just more great 96 exit stuff on Super Mario World. It does make me somewhat suspicious because I don't think the answer actually matches up with the question, but it's still a great bit of Super Mario trivia and it's nice to see and also you've got that little row of one up so you get three extra lives it's all good stuff it's all good fun yeah because i think what the kid is actually looking for is just how to beat the level which is basically you know use the feather to get across and the answer the games master gives is where's the secret exit i mean it will help you beat the level but you still need to know how to get that far i thought it would have been great if they'd actually had the guy from the first challenge asking this <laughs> After the challenge, they went, while you're here, could you just go and stand in front of this bit of uh, green cloth? Oh, man, what a missed opportunity. That would have been so good. Hello, Games Master. I'm on Final Fight on the Super Nintendo. I've heard this worth getting more lives. Could you tell me what it is, please? When the title screen appears, press L, B, and start to access a secret option screen where you can obtain nine lives. Got that? Yes, thank you, Games Master. Then go away. Who's next? But up next, we've got an absolute banger of a game, although the SNES port I've always had a love-hate relationship with because this game is at its best when it's multiplayer and for the most part, the SNES was single-player. It's Final Fight. Yeah, the fact that it's not two-player makes me think that just don't bother, mate. Don't bother releasing it until you can get a two-player option in there. But yeah, Final Fight, uh, looking to get the cheat menu. You hold LB and starts when the game uh, starts up. Now it brings up the cheat menu so you can get nine lives. And then Games Master quite politely tells the lad to go away. Now, I'm slightly worried about this kid. We're not punching down, but I worry about this kid's cognitive ability because he's focusing on a cue card. This is one of the most obvious examples of a kid that is concentrating so much on reading that he's not actually passing what he's saying. It's the mirror opposite of Panto Girl. Hello, Games Master. Hey. Hey, Gavna. I'm going to London. Have you seen my cat? Yes, that kind of action. Hello, Games Master. Get on with it, young whippersnapper. On Wonder Boy in Monsterland, I can't find the last piece of the pygmy armour. Can you tell me where it is, please? If you cast your mind back to the very beginning of the game, you'll remember that there was a chest that you couldn't reach. However, now that you've got the trident, you can go underwater and swim to the isolated chest. The last piece of the pygmy's armour is now yours. Great, thanks. Which actually we see a bit of with the third kid as well, who is struggling to get through his lines a little bit. He knows what he needs to say, but just can't quite remember the order the words go in. And I think, again, you can almost see him like looking for the cue cards of of line... Because our last kid is stuck on Wonder Boy in Monsterland on the Master System. But you know what? This is quite a good query. He's after the last bit of the pygmy armour. And Games Master points out something that I love in games. Now, I'm never going to go and play this game, but I love it when you've got a part of the game right at the beginning that you can't get until you've got to the end. So you have to loop back around. And it means that you actually get added value out of replaying these sections because to get that last bit of the pygmy armor you've got to get as far as having the trident so you can go underwater then you use the trident go underwater go up and around open the chest last bit of pygmy armor ta-da and do what this looks great for a master system game as well it looks really really tasty 
I've got nothing bad to say about the Wonder Boy games. I remember a neighbor of my nan used to have her grandkids come round and they had a master system that lived at their grandparents. I think they spent a lot of time there because their parents were both working, much as why I spent so much time at my nan or my grand's. And I'm fairly certain they had one of these games. I think they also had one of the Pac-Man games and they might have had something involving ninjas. Mm -hmm. But I remember the Wonder Boy games and thinking, they're pretty good. I had my Game Boy, that was about it. Most of my knowledge of Wonder Boy, kind of like Decap Attack, comes from Sonic the Comic, really. But while the Master System may be long gone, Wonder Boy is still around. 2016 saw Wonder Boy Returns, which was a remake of the first game and came out for the PS4 and the Nintendo Switch. Wonder Boy The Dragon's Trap, that came out in 2017 for the PlayStation, the Switch and the Xbox One, as well as Windows, Mac OS, Linux, iOS and Android. Man, that's a big old multi-platform and that was a remake of Wonder Boy 3. And it's still going, and we've even got another one. We've got a remake of Monster World 4 coming out in 2021. Wonder Boy, Asher in Monster World. Good on Wonder Boy, good on him for keeping it in there. Well, it's time for our final challenge, and we're heading on over to Dominic Diamond because it's time for the finale of a very, very fun little mini tournament. So tell us more about it, Dominic. A few more consultation members mentally massaged by the man on high. Well, I'm slightly more excited than usual, but tonight's final challenge sees the grand final of our special magazine challenge on Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Over the past couple of weeks, we've had battlers from Sega Power, Mega, Mean Machine Sega, and Mega Drive Advanced Gaming. Two of them fell by the wayside. Two of them are left to battle it out tonight. So please welcome Paul Melrick and Dave Goodyear. Hello. All right, Dave, good to see you again. Okay, I'll start off with you, Dave. In the semi-finals, you got 30 seconds on the Emerald Hill Zone. That must make you quite confident for tonight. Well, what can I say? I'm just like number one games player. Well, Paul, you were actually saying to me 30 seconds on that zone wasn't that good. You fancy your chances? Yep, I mean, the best man's going to win, and it's going to be me. Well, I think it's very difficult to tell between the two of you. Ash, it's here. It's the finals of their Sega Sonic 2 Challenge. It's Paul Millerick of Mega versus Dave Goodyear of Mega Drive Advance Gaming. And Dave is feeling confident after his big win on the Emerald Hill Zone, saying that he is the number one best player. While Paul says, you know, 30 seconds on Emerald Hill Zone, it's not as impressive as you think. I could do better. This is great trash talking on what might be one of my favorite challenges of series two. It is an amazing challenge, but I also find it frustrating as spoilers. Our commentary on this is probably not going to be great because you've just got to watch it. Words cannot do this challenge justice. These two guys are great. They're fire on the mic. And then we go over to Games Master to find out what the actual challenge is. For the grand final of my Sonic Two challenge, I just had to go for the head-to-head -head bonus stage. The object is simply to collect more rings than your opponent in a best-of-three race contest. Do watch out for the mines, as every time you hit one, you will lose ten rings. May the best rodent win. Yeah, we alluded to this in the Games World bonus episode that we did. This is the special stage of Sonic 2. And for my... This is the first time... I mean, this is way better than the Games World version of this. Because this is two people who know how to play this game. And they know all the tricks of the trade. And, oh man, it's so good. I do have a quick question about Games Master's link to this, though. Because is he implying or mistaking a hedgehog 
and a fox for rodents? Or is he saying that game journalists are rodents? <laughs> it could be. It could go either way, really. You begged and pleaded for her to come back. We've complied with your wishes. Jane Goldman from GameZone. Welcome back, Jane, for this grand final. It's oh, quite exciting, isn't it? Good to see you. It certainly is. Okay, well, have you got some tips for this? It's a different kind of level altogether. It certainly is. I'd say for now, um, to remember to use the whole field. You can do loop-the-loops and everything. It's not just carrying along along the bottom. Mm -hmm. Also, um, it's not necessarily a disadvantage to be behind. And uh, it certainly isn't in my life. But um, if I had to ask you to pick one of these two nubile young boys, who would you go for? I'll take them both. But um, <laughs> no, in terms of the challenge, I'd say, um, well, Paul really impressed me. Okay, whoever collects some more strings wins the stage. Win two stages out of three and you win the joystick. But we've begged for it, we've asked for it and they're complying with our wishes. Jane Goldman is back in the commentary box. This is quite a sassy Jane Goldman here as well. She talks about you know using the hold fields and it's not really at a disadvantage to be behind. And Dom agrees and says that's certainly been the case in his life and then asks her, if forced to pick between these two nubile young boys, who would she go for? And she says she'd take them both. She'd take them both on. It's Tommy Dreamer over here. But yeah, the implication is not lost on Dominic or the two journalists who guffaw. Yeah. Jane is firing on all cylinders and she has seen where Dominic is and she thinks she can go one level higher. And she absolutely does because she then cements the filth by saying, in terms of the challenge, Paul really impressed her. I'm just going to refer back again to that Rick Henderson interview we did for the Games World episode, where he kind of talked about, you know, how everyone was sort of mucking in on the production, you know, Hewland. And he talked about Jane Goldman being a part of that, which I think really sort of speaks to why she's got really good rapport with Dominic Diamond and probably with these games journalists as well. You know, she is a games journalist herself, so she does know these people. And so I think it, that's why they can have this really, really fun banter back and forth. I, I think she's tremendous. She's great. Her interplay with Dominic is great. Everything about this challenge is absolutely great. It is also clarified because when Games Master introduces this, he says, oh, it's most rings over three levels. It's not. It's best two out of three, with the winner yeah. of each race being decided by who has the most rings, much like we encountered on Games World. Yeah. So they start this challenge. Paul is Sonic and Dave is tampering with Tails. And right from the off, they are vying for pole position and also vying for rings. At no point throughout any of these races do I think this one's comfortably in the bag. Even in this first one, Paul picks up the win as Sonic. He wins it with 39 rings to 26. And Dominic says, you know, oh, that was a comfortable win for Sonic there. But I don't think it was that comfortable of a win. It never felt like it was fully in the bag for Paul. And you can correct me if I'm wrong in this, but at no point over any of these three races does anyone actually take a proper hit and lose 10 rings. They do blow up a mine, but they essentially just sort of glitch through it so it doesn't actually take away any of their rings. Yeah, they were spinning through it. There was actually a case of one of them tripped, but it was before they'd picked up any rings. That's right. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So there are no major sudden loss of rings this is just about who can be in front who can get to the rings first and of course something i've experienced when playing this game in versus mode when you try and get ahead but you end up floating over most of the rings so the person that's actually behind much like dominic comes out on top absolutely all the way through this challenge it is neck and neck first round goes to sonic Mm -hmm. Second round goes to Tails. So we're at the tiebreaker. Well, the, I just want to say on that second round, 
to show how like close that this game does get at times, Tails, who's been played by Dave, starts off the round very, very strong, goes up 13 rings to one, uh, but they both sort of balls up the loop-de-loop pattern. But really, Paul gets the better of this, and he makes a hell of a comeback, but just not enough of a comeback in time. And so Tails wins the rounds 31 to 27. It was a heck of a comeback by Paul as Sonic. And then we get to the final race, and it is neck and neck through all this. I don't think any of them are ever more than five rings away from the other. And at the end of this race, it's four rings, just four rings that decide this, that decide the winner. Oh my God, it's so close. I wish there were more words we could use to describe this challenge because it is so tight and no one really makes any mistakes. Absolutely not, no. But like at the start of this third round, they end up with 10 rings each. And I was like, this couldn't get any closer, really. Sonic builds up a bit of a lead, but then Tails gets into the lead, pulls ahead 36 to 26. But then Sonic again makes this brilliant comeback to get 32 rings. But it's just not enough. Dave Goodyear is the winner of this, and it was well-deserved. That was fucking brilliant. It was such a great challenge. I'll be honest, I kind of wish this challenge had gone over episodes 24, 25 and 26 because this would have been so good to end the series on because I know what's coming for the last challenge of the series. I would say this is better. Yeah, really, the the last challenge of this series is to be the big, ooh, look, it's the new shiny thing. But yeah, I think as sort of like drama, this is way more, this is way better. Hello, Paul. What on, mate? What on, Dave? All right, hush, hush, please. Paul, you really, really let Jane down. What, what went wrong? I got off to a good start, but he was lucky at the end and he knows it as well. Well, do you know you were lucky, Dave? No, I said before when I came on that I'm just far superior and I knew I was going to win. But post-match, Dom says Paul really let Jane down. You've disappointed Jane. <laughs> I, I I would find that more crushing than losing, to be honest. <laughs> Paul says he got off to a good start, but Dave was lucky. And he knows it. <laughs> Dave doesn't think it was luck. He maintains he was just far superior. He knew he was going to win. A really, really great challenge. I've loved this little mini tournament that they've had. I've loved each and every segment of it. I love that it was a different level on the same game. And then we end with this head to head. I've, yeah, just really, really enjoyed this from start to end. And not only does he get bragging rights over all the other Sega magazines, he, of course, gets the Games Master Golden Joystick. We're off now for, I think, yes, Auntie Marisha's speciality jellied eels with lychee dumplings. So we're off to have a little bit of that, and we'll see you in seven days. Good night. And on the menu tonight, we've got jellied eels and lychee dumplings, something I can eat. I don't like lychee. I don't care. I will go with it, <laughs> because even if I could eat fish, sod jellied eels. Just yeah, Absolutely no. disgusting. And that's it. Episode 24 is in the books. We have two episodes to go on season two. Two more episodes before the realm of Fletcher is upon us. It's so weird to think that we are this close to the end now because like at the start of series two the end felt quite far away even though it's only 26 it's only 26 weeks you know with and you know well it's 30 odd really with all of our bonus episodes but it really did feel like oh man it's gonna take ages for us to get to series three but here we are it's just around the corner in a couple of months time we are going to be closer to the end than we are to the beginning we're going to be past the event horizon of games master and <laughs> my god is full of stars and dick jokes <laughs> 
But that is episode 24 in the books. As you say, Ash, what did you make of it? The Mario challenge was a little disappointing because it would have been nice to see someone do that. That would have been some masterful game playing if that had been pulled off. The review zone was fun, especially because we got to have Dan back on. It was great to talk to him again and get an insider's perspective on the review process. The Danny Curley feature, which, as I said, Spinal Tap, Ruttles, All You Need Is Cash, really fun. Lovely to see Mike McShane. Absolutely adored seeing him there. That was a genuine pleasure just to see him pop up and deliver an absolute withering line. So much fun. Celebrity Challenge, not a great game, but great competitors, great banter, brilliant little bit of history and a result. Consultation Zone, absolutely fine. Three solid games. Nice to actually have the same level that was in the challenge earlier. Don't know if that was deliberate or not. If it was, kudos to the production crew. And then this final challenge, which I wish this had gone on longer, or as I said, been the final challenge, because this was so good. This episode is just a solid 91 for me. Okay, I mean, I'm going to go higher than you, not just by a bit, because I loved this episode. I really loved this episode. I mean, like you said, the, the, the Mario challenge wasn't great, but we did get to see the pit. So that's always a little bit of fun. Um, and it kind of shows as well, like, you know, how tough that game can be and sort of how tough some of the challenges on Games Master can be. The Review Zone featured two games that I absolutely loved in Lost Vikings and Megalomania. And as you say, got to speak to Dan. It's always great to have him on the show. Loved the Danny Curley feature. I thought it was really, really funny, really well put together. Couldn't give a shit about Summer Challenge as a game, but I absolutely loved loved the challenge overall because i really loved the presentation of it and yeah that finale on sonic 2 was absolutely brilliant this might be my favorite episode of seasons of series 2 at the end of it i was like boom 95% absolutely loved that episode thought it was so so great see now you got me second guessing myself <laughs> i can't go quite as high as 95 but you know what i'll see you halfway i'll go 93 yeah so 93 nice. and 95, because you know what? I'd actually forgotten the games in the review zone because I was just so pleased we got to speak to Dan again. And you're right. Those are a couple of great games. While Lost Vikings may not have got much love in, in the review itself, I've got some nice memories of it. And I love the fact that it's still clearly fondly remembered by game developers. If it's turning up in World of Warcraft, mm -hmm. that's no small thing. But that is going to do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening, downloading. Uh, please do give us a subscribe if you haven't already and leave a review. It helps us get noticed in the podcast feed. Like this one from Butterboy that says, it's Dubla Fun Tundra. Uh, having started listening to Under Consultation pre-lockdown, I stopped commuting to work and didn't have time to keep listening. Thought I'd jump back in again and I'm really glad I did. The presenters are enthusiastic and knowledgeable and won't let a diamondism go unchecked every episode is well researched and my favorite two so far are the ones with vic reeves and the bonus games master live episode i actually went to the 1992 event and it wasn't really a patch on the future entertainment show which took place at earl's court 2 in the same year it was very sparse just like one of the contributors mentioned lovely memories so thanks for the great podcast thank you very much butterboy for leaving that review it really means a lot to us if you want to find us on social media you can do on Twitter at underconsolepod and on Instagram at under.console and if you want to send in your feedback for what you've thought of Series 2 of Games Master thus far as we head to the finale of it and we do our wrap-up episode it's feedback at underconsultation.com and if you want to give us a bit of real-time feedback if you maybe want to talk about what games you've been playing 
or even just hang out with some general chat where we're talking about reboot, nightmare, board games, whatever, you can join us on our Discord. We don't know what we're doing. You may not know what you're doing, but that's okay. We cannot know what we're doing together. And if you want to hear next week's episode one week early and ad-free, head on over to patreon.com forward slash under console pod and back us at the five pound level and you will get next week's episode into your RSS feed, which is available on podcast device. And you will get our bonus review that we have done for September of the Crystal Maze series four, episode three. You've heard a preview of it that got released into the free feed. You can listen to the full hour and a half review over on Patreon right now. And uh, I mean, Ash, I don't know about you, but it was a hell of a lot of fun to record it was a lot of fun it's probably the most fun i've had on a bonus episode so far there was something quite joyous about it and as i think i said on the episode there was something cleansing about it we don't punch down (laughs) at kids it's an agreement we made at the beginning and given some of the kids that we've talked to that are now adults i'm really glad we made that agreement however on the crystal maze they're adults they knew what they were getting themselves in for (laughs) And we have some fun. And if you back us at that £10 level, you get the merch pack. Ash, why don't you tell them what's involved with that? You give us money, we give you stuff. You get a mug, you get badges, you get stickers, you get sweets, you get pogs. You get a discount voucher off of our t-shirt. If you want the t-shirt, irregardless, you can get that, as well as other mugs and stickers and badges, all from our website, underconsultation.com. Shout out to those £10 backers, Jamie, Matt, Kyrick, Phil, Simon, Nick, Sean, Adam, Cliff, Adam, Rich, Gordon, William and Misha. Thank you guys so, so much. We love each and every one of you. We love each and every person that listens to this podcast as we rattle towards the end of Series 2. Ash, we're nearly there, my friend. We are nearly there. We are actually approaching the one-year anniversary since you sent me a message saying <laughs> are we really <laughs> i think so i think we're yeah. approaching the point where you sent me a message saying do you want to do this and i said no <laughs> <laughs> oh man it it doesn't feel like a year it really no, doesn't. It doesn't but thanks for joining us on this journey thanks for listening it's been a blast absolutely and we will see you in seven days time thank you so much take care good night catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.